And welcome, welcome to The Sharp Way with Larry Sharp. Yet another Monday evening again. Two hours of amazingness. Yes, the best two hours of your week. And I'm happy that I'm here with a very special guest. One of the most special guests I've ever had. My lovely daughter, Barbara Sharp, is here. Yes. Hello. Yes, she is absolutely here. And to she probably won't say much, but that's okay. She can if she wants to. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to be talking about some crazy stuff here. Feel free to join the program if you want to, to talk to me or be good to my daughter. She's uh, not an adult yet, so be good. Uh, you can call us if you like to. Join the program at 573 427 Three, give me a buzz. We're chatting all day long about sex, drugs, and gambling. Yes, all of those things this evening, talking about prohibition and talking about regulation, how it affects those around us. But I want you to think about something, if you would. Think about what the war on drugs is about. Think about what's happened with actual prohibition. Think about how people will tell you, we can't let these drugs be legal. We can't do it. We have to stop it. We said exactly the same thing about 100 years ago with alcohol. And what happened? A lot of death, a lot of destruction, and prohibition allows the people who are just regular bad guys to become monsters and people who are in an apathetic world to become bad guys constantly. Because prohibition very often makes things worse. I'm going to give you a quick list, if I could, of all the times prohibition has actually worked. Finished. It doesn't work, ever. It has failed again and again and again. And I know what people say. Larry, are you telling me that we should make drugs legal? Well, we could make them illegal like we have now. And what do we get? More drugs. The war on drugs creates more drugs. The war on drugs creates more addicts. The war, on, the war on drugs creates more people in bad situations. They may say, Larry, I know this already. I know this. So you're telling me that we have to let all the drugs be legal tomorrow? I'm not saying that. I'm not. Would it be okay if we did? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But I do understand that the country is not ready for that kind of thing. So I have an idea. Why don't we start would stop punishing people for possession. How about we start with that? Just saying because you have a drug on your body, that by default is not a crime. How about that? Let's just do that first. So that if I have a drug on my body, I am not a criminal. Just that and see what happens. See if we can start getting people to believe, hey, why don't we start having safer drugs why don't we start getting people who are addicts to get good treatment? Why don't we start bringing some of our friends and family back into the fold? Well, Larry, what do you know about this? My mom was an addict. That's what I know about this. I know what happens when people pick the drug over you. That's what happens when you're an addict. So you can be mad at them all day long. You can punish them all day long. And they still want the drug. It doesn't change. Think about the most important thing when someone says, we got to punish him, put him in jail. That's the answer. Think about this. If you're an addict or you know an addict, here's what you know. If you've gone to the rock bottom's part, the rock bottom of being arrested or going to jail, you've already lost your money. That's gone. That went in your veins or up your nose. That's gone. 
You've already lost your property. You sold that for the money so you can put it either in your arm or up your nose. So that's already done. You smoked it, right? That's gone. Already done that. You've already lost all your friends because you've either lied to them or stolen from them to get the money to put it in your veins or up your nose or even you've uh, smoked it. So that's gone. So you've already lost your money. You've already lost your property. You've already lost your friends. You've also lost your family because you lied and cheated to them, of course, because you picked the drug over them. So you've already stole money from them. They're gone too. Family gone on top of it. Not just that, you've lost your health, right? Because you're not going to the doctor. You're not eating well because you're a drug addict. So you're not doing any of that stuff, right? You're not. And you've lost your good looks. You probably lost teeth. Your probably hair's fallen out. You don't sleep. You've lost your looks, your health, your friends, your family, your property, and your money. And our society says, you know what you deserve? Jail. How cruel are we as a society that we think that's the answer? So even if you think I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, do you want to be that cruel? Are we that cruel? And I would ask you, even when we put them in jail, how does that work? Because if you know anything about the jail system, prison system, here's what you know. There's drugs in jail. I'll say it again. There's drugs in jail. There are drugs in an environment where there's literally walls and people with guns to keep drugs out of the jail. Walls, people with guns, drugs get in. How can you possibly win this war on drugs? If you can get drugs in the prison... Can't get drugs into a neighborhood. It is impossible. It is unnecessary. It is irrelevant. It is immoral. And here's the biggest part of it all. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can feel righteous if you want to. Shake your fist. I'm righteous. But you will not solve the problem. You will just be cruel. You will only make things worse. And you'll think it's all fine until it's one of yours until it's someone you love or you care about, then you'll change your mind. But guess what? Then it's too late. That's when it's too late. When it's one of yours. When it's your friend, your family member, your loved one, then it's too late. When they want help, you can't give it to them. Because the second thing that prohibition does for the individual is because it's illegal, now the people who take the drug won't hang around people who don't take the drug because they're afraid to hang around you because they'll get in trouble. So now when you need your family and friends and support structure the most, you can't have them because they won't be around you because they'll go to jail too for possession. Not even selling, just possession, just that. So they can't even be around to help and support you when you want to break your habit, when you want to do the right thing, you lose your family. The people who could support you when that happens, you lose them too. Prohibition. Well, look, I, I, I've talked for a couple of things about that. I've already got a call, so someone wants to talk already about this. I'm very happy that's going to happen. We'll, we'll start already. I'm going to go over to Indiana and talk to Tommy. Tommy, how are you? Hey, Larry. How you doing, brother? Hey, Tommy. I'm doing good. I am glad. I'm glad you're up and about and calling. This is nice. I'm glad to hear you. Hey, i, I tell you what. It's, it, it's been a ride. Larry, your topic tonight is prohibition. Yep, it is. And I, I decided to call you and get my viewpoint out to a bigger area. Okay. 
Let's start at the beginning. Uh-oh, this is going to be long. First off, no, it's not. Okay. First off, we've been fighting prohibition for 100 years. Yes. The only problem is the government has lied to us and told us that it wasn't prohibition. See, every time that the government wants to limit something or they want to get rid of something, they call it prohibition or they call it a war. We've had a war on alcohol. It's called prohibition. Now we're having a war on cannabis that is medically known to help people. But, yeah, we're fighting prohibition all over again because they have convinced themselves that the war on drugs is the answer to the opioid problem. Got news for you, Larry. That's not the answer. Our own ally in this world, Israel, is kicking our can down the street on cannabis reform and cannabis research because our government has bought into a lie. And sadly, people have bought it. No, no, I I think there's a little bit different here. I don't think the government's bought into the lie. I think too many people have. I think there's a difference, right? I think the people actually, most of the people, I think, at the actual top of the chain. I think they know that cannabis should not be a Schedule One drug. And they know that the idea that cannabis being a Schedule One drug literally stops us, to your point perfectly, it stops us from doing the research on the drug so that we can get the good drugs and, 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 and the good medicine to help people. So I think people at the top actually know this. The issue is there's a lot of money in prohibition, man. I think that's the number one issue. I mean, think about think about all of the uh, of the people who lose their jobs if if we don't have prohibition. I th- I think the top knows. I think a lot of the individual people buy your lie, or the lie you talked about. Not your lie. I'm sorry. The lie you talked about. Right, and I I, I you know yeah that that's kind of what I I phrased it wrong. I, that's what I was driving at. Oh, uh, okay. And the other and the other thing you have to we we have to realize is is. When the prohibition on cannabis ends, big pharmacy's done. They're gone. It's over. Because everybody will scrap every over-the-counter med they have, every cancer treatment, every pain remedy, every depression med is in the trash can, and cannabis is on top. Well, I think you've made another valid point. It's one of the reasons why you find governments, and New York State's a perfect example of this, not just decriminalizing it not just legalizing it. What they're doing is they're waiting to find a way to ensure that big business can take advantage of that so that when that happens, it's big pharma and or big business and or companies that are bought or owned by big pharma that actually make this happen. I think it's just a timing issue for them, don't you think? Yeah, I I would fully agree with that, Larry. Yeah. Um, You know, here, here in my own state in Indiana, uh, we've got a guy that's getting ready to run for governor next year, and you know he is pro cannabis, mm-hmm. and he and I have talked a lot. I do a lot of, of conversing with members of Indiana Normal, mm-hmm. and you know, Larry, I'm probably well, I know I am. I'm the only county commissioner candidate for 2022 in Washington County that supports medical cannabis, yeah. and I support it fully because I know I've done the research myself. I know the benefits. And, you know, Larry, I've had contact with you. I've got contacts in Israel that are telling me, hey, the research proves it. So, yes. Larry, I appreciate you taking my call. I'm not going to hold you, but I wanted to kind of get my viewpoint out there, buddy. I love and, it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm on my feet. Uh, things, are, things have turned around since Saturday. Uh, Saturday morning was kind of scary. But, uh, uh, I'm happy. Hey, That's what I said. I'm happy you're up and running, brother. We we are back and uh, uh, on the track, man. So 
Hey, best of luck to you, Larry. Thanks so much for taking my Thank call, you, man. Tommy. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Have a good one. Um, bye-bye. All right. I want to go one step further, though. I think Tommy's brought up a very important issue, and that is the idea that you know, medical uh, cannabis is clearly, there's an advantage. Clearly, it makes sense. So much data. But what if there was no data? What if it wasn't clear? And I know it is, but for the sake of argument, what if it wasn't clear that cannabis helps? What if you don't believe the information? You don't believe that it actually helps. You think it's a bad drug and only hurts. You believe that or we didn't have it. Doesn't change my view. Doesn't change my view at all. The issue is government shouldn't be telling you what you should put or not put in your body. That's the number one issue here. Even if cannabis has no values to make you high and there's no other value whatsoever, so what? We drink alcohol, don't we? Well, I don't. But many people do drink alcohol. What's the, is there medicinal purposes to drinking beer? I don't know. Maybe there are. I don't think there are any. Except people want to feel good and they want to get drunk and drink beer. Good for you. As long as people know what it does, know what it is, it's your life. Imbibe as you wish. And that inc- I include that with cannabis. But Larry... You can't mean that with something like meth, can you? Not meth. That's insane. You wouldn't want to legalize meth, would you? All I would have to do is legalize cannabis and you would watch meth begin to go away. What? Yes. I want you to realize something. For all of you who can't stand those horrible drugs like meth and crack, these drugs that go through and trash everyone, kill people, fentanyl, all those horrible things that are terrible drugs that just destroy our body, that rip us apart, that are obviously harmful to us. Without question, the data is in. They are horrible, terrible drugs. They're all directly responsible. Directly responsible. The responsibility of the government's war on drugs. If the government doesn't have a war on drugs, we don't have a meth problem. If the government doesn't have a war on drugs, we don't have a crack problem. If the government doesn't have a war on drugs, we don't have a fentanyl problem. How do I know that? Because the wealthy people I know on Wall Street who do cocaine, now they often do Adderall. They crush up Adderall and snort it. So they're either on Adderall or on cocaine. They're not on meth. Why? Because they can afford cocaine. That's the reason why. They can afford Adderall. They can do these things. They can buy that, that stuff on a black market. They can do that. They have the money. Well, if you gave people a safer alternative, like cannabis, like Tommy said, or like cocaine, and it wasn't so expensive because it wasn't a war on drugs, people wouldn't use meth. People wouldn't use crack. They wouldn't need it. Not just that, if it's legal, you would have a company that will create a cheaper alternative that would be safer. Why? Because if the people bought it and they got, got damaged like from meth and from crack and from fentanyl, then the companies would be sued and go out of business. You'd have cheaper, safer alternatives and cheaper, safer ways to break your addiction, cheaper, safer ways to deal with the withdrawal symptoms. You would have that. So not even medical. I, I, I love medical. I hope we have medical legal, but I would even go further as, to, further as to say recreational. Recreational cannabis is a good idea. Because it will make other drugs begin to go away. Not overnight, of course. If you've got a meth addiction, you're not going to all of a sudden end your meth addiction tomorrow. I get that. But with the war on drugs, the only way you end your meth addiction is death. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. 
Well, the thing I get all the time. Larry, you say that. But what happens when someone you love dies of an overdose? You don't know, Larry. My cousin, my niece, my nephew, my friend died of an overdose. See, you talk that, but you don't know. You might have had an addict in your life, but your mom didn't die of an overdose. That's true. My mom did not. My mom got clean. That's true. But here's what I know. The drug isn't what killed that person. The war on drugs killed that person. Because if your son, daughter, friend, whomever died of an overdose, odds are they died because either they were off for a bit, came back, went back in the market, got something they shouldn't have gotten, and OD'd. Or didn't know what they were buying, bought the wrong thing, got too much, and OD'd. And they died. If that was a legal product, they would know how much to get, where to get it. They could do it in public. They could do it with their friends. They would know what it was, and they wouldn't be dead. The fact that it was illegal is why your loved one is dead. So don't blame the drug. Blame the war on drugs. You want to blame somebody? Blame every president from Nixon to Trump and everyone in between. Because every one of them could have ended the war on drugs. Every one of them could have made cannabis taken off of Schedule 1 to give us an opportunity to make things better. But none of them did. Blame them. Blame them. And you say, but Larry, they might still be on drugs. Yes, but if your loved one is on drugs, they have a chance to get clean. If they're dead, it's too late. If they're dead, it's too late. Give them the opportunity to get their lives back together. I talk so often about second chances. The war on drugs does not give you a second chance. But Larry, here's all time. Larry, you don't understand. When my cousin got arrested, that's when they changed their life. So you're telling me the only way to change someone's life is to put them in a prison where they can join a gang or be gang raped, and that's the only way? I would say that's other ways. I would say many people find ways of changing bad habits without having to have the risk of being gang raped in prison. If you're saying that's the only way, how cruel are you? How cruel are you? I'm not about that at all. All right, I got to keep going. I got some more people. We're going we're gonna to move over to outside of New York. I know I say New York a lot. We're going to move outside of New York. We're going to head over to Texas. We're going to go over to San Antonio, and we're going to talk to Dan. Dan, how are you, sir? Hey, how's it going? What's going on? Um, man, I heard, so I heard you just talking about um, legalizing hard drugs and uh, the fear that people bring up. Yes. And... Uh, I wanted to I wanted to comment on that because I hear a lot of people saying, "Well, I don't you, you're going to legalize meth. What happens when my kids start doing meth?" And that's what a lot of people's fear are. But if you think about it, there's an interesting side to that, which is, well, if your kids get mixed up with the wrong crowd and they start doing hard drugs, do you want them to go to prison and have all of their opportunities destroyed, or do you want to get them into rehab and deal with them in some other way that's going to correct the problem? Yeah, it, it's a it's a valid point, but my but my point is, as I just mentioned, the hard drugs will eventually begin to go away as a general rule because there'll be safer alternatives, right? If the, the issue isn't that the kid wants to do hard drugs, that's rare. I mean, there are some people who have that type of you know that issue in their brain where they absolutely have to get that huge adrenaline rush. That does exist, but for the average person, they just want to get high and be social. That's what my most people want to do drugs. They want to get high and, and be social. So if you can find safer ways to be high 
and be social, you won't go to that hardcore drug. You won't do that, right? So that's step one. But some people will get addicted because of opioids, right? 80% of our addicts to this day uh, actually came somehow through a prescription opioid. Now, I'm not against opioids. I'm not. Let me be clear. Some people, opioids are exactly the right answer for their pain. I'm not against them. I'm against only opioids. That's what I'm against. I'm against someone having no choice and only having to take an opioid, right? As, as an example, certain people who have certain cancers, also if you're terminal, who cares? Take an opioid. Who cares? It's irrelevant. Please take it. Enjoy. Have, have a pain-free life to the best of your ability. Go do that. But maybe in your case, you don't need an opioid. You can use a cannabis product. You should do that. So I think the same thing will happen. And the example I give is when we decided that we were going to raise the drinking age to 21, right? I'm sure you remember um, that we did that recently, what, uh, 20 years ago, give or take. I, when I was a young kid, we could still drink at 18. So, but I'm an old man. So, but, but not anymore, right? So the goal of that was to get alcohol out of high schools. That was the goal. If the kids had to be 21, there'd be less alcohol in high school. And to be forward, that actually worked. That totally worked. There was absolutely less beer and alcohol in high school after they raised the drinking age 21. That absolutely happened. But here's the worst part. You know what went up? Weed. Kids started smoking weed like this. no tomorrow. Why? It was easier to get. Did they actually want weed or want beer? No. They wanted to get high with their friends. And the easiest thing was weed. It used to be beer because you'd have somebody who was a senior who was 18. They would go buy the beer at the store and they'd come in. The kids who were 16, 17 would all drink. And they'd all drink at their mom's basement. And we'd get drunk in my mom's basement and we'd throw up. That's what we would do. And we'd learn a lesson there. But that didn't happen anymore. So what happens? Instead, kids smoke weed. They do that instead because that's easier to get because they want to be high with their friends. And then they go, to, they go off to college. They'd never drank before. So they binge drink in college. And instead of getting drunk in their mom's basement, where they could feel safe among family and friends, they get blackout drunk in front of a bunch of other kids who are also 18, 19 years old, blackout drunk. And now we have all sorts of problems. So I, I get what you're saying, but I don't even want to go there and try to tell a parent that, well, if your kid does do meth, because no parent wants to hear that. No parent wants to hear, well, if your kid does meth, I'm going to say instead, if you legalize the, the, the softer drugs, the odds of your kid doing meth dramat dramatically go down because it won't be right, required. But then, but then they're going to have to trust that your statistics are correct and that somehow magically their kids are not going to fall into that statistical group and that they're just going to say no to drugs, which is. No, no, not at all. No, no, no. To be clear, I never said they're going to say no, no to drugs. I said the opposite. I literally said they, they're going to say yes to drugs. If you know what I, what I just said, I did not right, say. Right, right. Gonna, I said the opposite. I said your yes kids are going to want to get high with something. Let's make it safe. Right. And there are some people who are going to say that's not acceptable. I don't want them using any substances. I know. That's so, great. Those people are never going to vote for us. Those people are never going to vote <laughs> to end prohibition. Those people are far more concerned about, uh, about being righteous than actually helping people. Those people are very often completely fine with punishing people who are drug addicts until it's their son, until it's their daughter. I, I challenge that conclusion. Tell me, um, please. I, I, think I, have talked to people, I, I think I have talked to people who have come to that. Um, yep. There are 
um, there, there was a judge um, who I knew who, you know, basically he sent people to prison for cannabis possession yep. um, in Texas. And the question is brought to him outside of the courtroom, just on a personal level. If your kids had some terminal disease and if there was even the smallest percent of a chance that cannabis would work on them, would you allow your child to, to consume cannabis to, to take care of that disease? even if it's just a small chance. And of course the answer is absolutely yes. Meanwhile, they're sending people to prison. Yes. Because they absolutely think it's a, it's a horrible, dangerous drug. It's, it's, you need to understand that like when people are, when people bring that into their own personal lives, the conversation changes dramatically I, about like look, whatever kind of, I completely agree. Look, hypothetical. My father was in law enforcement. He got cancer in the seventies. Right in the 70s, they basically just cut you open and throw horrible chemotherapy at you and hope. And it was horrible. They took out a bunch of his intestines. They took out his colon. He had a colostomy bag. Horrible, horrible stuff. And it took him two years to die. So while he's in that situation, he had cop friends who were active on uh, who, who were active on New York City cops who would be literally you know, confiscating weed from people in the 70s, right? Going out there, grabbing weed, grabbing marijuana. They would let him sit in the back of the squad car and smoke weed so that he could eat because it would calm his stomach so he could actually eat some food. Otherwise, he'd throw all his food up. These are cops who are confiscating yep. weed from bad guys, putting them in prison, and only putting some of the weed into the uh, into the evidence and keeping the rest out. So l- breaking the law, literally. In the back of the squad car, he's smoking weed. So I get yep. you. When I'm, and that's my entire point. My point is it's all bad until it's them. It's all bad until it's their daughter, their friend, their brother, their father, their so-and-so. And so they're not going to follow us until it hits them. But it's okay because the goal of this is to allow people to be free. And I'll be clear about this. I don't do any drugs. I mean, that's not true. I do, I do caffeine, right? So the Mormons got me beat. But with the exception of the Mormons, I'm about the squarest guy you're going to find. Right? I don't smoke weed. I don't drink alcohol, any of that stuff. I have coffee. That's, that's, that's my massive drug. Right? So it's not like I want to get high. It's that I want people to be free. And if that makes you happy, some people want to get high with friends. In fact, lots of people want to get high with friends. So why wouldn't I let them? But I, I get your point completely. All I'm saying is I don't want to talk to a parent and say, well, if your kid gets meth, what I want to say is if we make it legal, the odds of your kid and your kid's friends and your family members, the odds of them doing hard drugs go down. And if they don't want to believe those, that data, they don't have to, but they can look at Portugal as an example. They can look at the studies right. done in Switzerland and Norway as an example. They can look at California and Colorado to a lesser extent because of their black markets. But to a lesser extent, you can look at California and Colorado to a lesser extent. So absolutely it can work. Yep, I, I agree. Anyway, I, just, uh, I just like keeping keeping all bases covered. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. I, I think we do have to talk about the mess and all those things. But again, my point wasn't just making those things legal. My point was start with the softer drugs and watch those other ones become, before we even make them illegal, watch them become the, be, begin to dissipate already. Right? They will become, yep. they will begin to dissipate even if we kept them illegal. I'm not saying we should, but even if we did. Right? In this case, I'd be prepared to walk down a road. Right, I don't have to go tomorrow. Everything legal. I would love that, but I don't have to go there. I'm happy going. Let's do cannabis, and watch the rest start falling apart. 
And people go, oh, that's not a bad idea. Let's go to the next one and watch the rest stop falling apart. I think we can do that. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for your call, Dan. Yep. Thank awesome. you. All right. I am going to head over to New Hampshire. We are jumping all over the place today. I love it so much. Going to grab uh, Max from New Hampshire. Max, how are you? Hey, how have you been? I'm great. What's going on? I, sorry, I haven't called into your show in probably a few months. No worries. Uh, okay, I just wanted to tell you I have uh, two bills in in New Hampshire. Okay. Uh, one of them just got a bill number. It's House Resolution 11 for anyone in, in New Hampshire, um, or if you're just interested in it. But it's a House resolution um, asking Congress to pass the uh, repeal federal uh, marijuana prohibition act, which as you know, is uh, sponsored by uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's a really good first step. I think that most of the action on drug policy has got to start at the federal level, but uh, I do have another bill in it, it partly to get, just get the ball rolling on the debate and it doesn't have a bill number, but it's for New Hampshire again. And it's to switch entirely to a Portugal style decrim mm -hmm. uh, approach. And the way I sell it is we want to offer treatment prevention and recovery support instead of prison. And love there's polling data out there showing that something like 70% of Americans agree with that statement or agree with that approach rather than trying to use the prison industry and 80,000 SWAT raids and, and the rest of it. No, I agree. Look, there are many reasons why someone would prefer that, right? One of them would be because they care about humanity and, and don't think that putting someone in prison is the right answer. They think that helping people is better. That's one reason. But let's say you don't care about that. Let's say you think, nope, none of my people are going to ever get it, and drug dealers are bad guys, and drug users are bad guys, or whatever you think. Okay, there's a monetary issue here, right? I mean, it costs tens of thousands of dollars to house someone in prison, right? And while they're in prison, we're paying for everything, for the years of paying for them in prison, they're not producing anything on the outside, they're not making any money. They're not producing any value. They're not helping other people. They're just sitting around in prison and we're paying for them. So it's a financial issue. If we just rehab people better, at least they're out there and they're making money and building value and helping others and being with their family and trying to have a better life. So even if you don't care about the individual, I hope you do, but even if you don't, there's a financial aspect here, right? One of the things I talked about is there's many issues here. One of them, of course, is people who get arrested but you have the issue of all the people already in jail, right? That's a problem too. When I was running for governor, people were saying things like, well, Larry, aren't you just going to pardon everybody who's in prison? And I was like, I'm not sure I can just do that. And the reason is while many of those people went to prison for nonviolent crimes, they weren't violent when they went. They're violent now because they've been in prison 10, 15 years. They've been in prison 10, five years. There's a big issue and problem with that, too. So it's not only people who are getting arrested, not putting them in prison. It's also people in prison getting them out and kind of, you know, doing that separation, doing that, uh, you know, uh, acclimatizing them back to the real world. One of the things I mentioned when I was running for governor was, you know, what I don't want to do, which I hear constantly is, well, we want to make sure the people who are in this industry, they don't have a criminal record. Why was that stupid? Like, why was that stupid? I, I, the stupidity in that is insane. These are the people who know the industry best. They went to jail for it. They're good at it. Why wouldn't you want them to be in this industry? It doesn't make any sense. 
So, yes, I'm glad what you're doing, Max. Please keep up the good work, my friend. And I'll, I'll keep you updated. Uh, New Hampshire, it's $37,000 per year per inmate to keep people behind bars. In Manhattan, the prison there is $169,000 a year per inmate. I know. I was going to say, you guys don't know how to do it. We know how to do it better. When it comes to wasting money, we got you. Bah, New York is oh, <laughs> so perfect. So perfect. <laughs> yes. And the best well, part we is of- we, we spend so much more money. And here's the best part for so, so much less actual outcome, more violence, hatred, less fair. I mean, we just we lose at every level. When it comes to being bad, we are the best. Wow. New York I used State. to live in New York. I went to college in upstate New York at Rensselaer. Oh, sure. I just revisited and it's $71,000 a year per student there now, but partly because of the subsidies and the financial aid system. It's just crazy. It is horrible. Um, yes. That's one of the things I'm bringing up in my presidential campaign, but the main, the main focus that I'm, that I'm trying to get at is ending the war on drugs, offering treatment, prevention, recovery support, employment support. You know, Portugal will pay businesses about $2,000 or so for people coming out of treatment to put, put them to work. Yeah, They're taking a risk on something. I remember. Put them I, to work. I actually had a had a plan here that if uh, if you took a, an ex con into your into your job, two years no payroll tax. Same concept. Oh, two that's years, nice. no payroll tax. And, and people said, but idea. Larry, then then they'll just hire people for two years and keep firing them and keep hiring new people every two years. I'm like, awesome! You're training my prison population. Please do that. What an amazing business model that would be. I, I hope people do that. So you just keep. You would save. Absolutely, we save a killing. Hundred percent. So, all right, Max, do me a favor before you go. Tell people where they can see you. Uh, MaxAbramson.org is my website, and you can just uh, go on, and I, I keep MaxAbramson.org updated all the time. There we go. Thank you, my friend. I'm glad you called. Thank you. All righty. All right, we just got a bunch of people calling in. Um, I'm gonna head over to Arizona. Um, someone else wants to talk about incrementalism. I wonder if he's going to beat me up about it or not. We'll find out. Eric, how are you? Good. How are you, Larry? What's going on, my friend? I'm a little delayed uh, with my feet over here, so I'm going to try to organize my thoughts the best I can off of. No worries. What you just it came says off here of. you wanted to talk about incrementalism. Is that does yes. that mean you're uh, you're pro or anti or something in between? Uh, well, I I it's pro anti what? Incrementalism. Well, I am. Uh, that's that's kind of one of the issues that I have with uh, uh, big L libertarianism, in 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 general. Is and I don't I don't accuse you of this personally. Uh oh. I I just mean uh, a lot of times with the Libertarian Party, mm-hmm. um, it feels like. Uh, for instance, you had a call that was talking about how his desire is actually to um, legalize hard drugs. Yep. Okay. Um, and it seems to me uh, a lot of times what happens is. If you went out there and said that as a politician uh, running for office, uh, you're going to alienate like 90% of the electorate saying something like that. Um, and it seems to me if you want, to, if that's where you want to go, um, you have to look towards, uh, you know, towards uh, the more pragmatic ways to get there. The, the specific thing I wanted to bring up with you was, uh, what do you think of things like diversion programs where someone is given the option? to go to rehab instead of jail. You mentioned that jail yeah. obviously is a horrible place. And Yep. This is, a, this is a great point. Look, there you can accept incrementalism 
as long as you don't accept it as the end game, right? As, as long as right. your goals are, are to make people free, I'm okay if we stop marching towards it. And some people disagree with me, and I get that. I understand their passion. I understand their worry. Their worry is if we, if we go through increments, we'll stop, right? That's their worry. And there's been some evidence of that. And I, and, I, and I get that, right? Then the new norm becomes just where we went and we can't go any further. There absolutely is a fear and it's a valid fear. But there's a secondary problem. That type of person often says things like incrementalism doesn't work all the time. It doesn't work. It's not how it works. It never works. It's, it's wrong. And I would say it's absolutely the opposite. Incrementalism is, incrementalism is the only way it works. It's how you begin to shift the culture and move kind of the Overton window to what's acceptable. And you keep moving it and keep moving it. The question is, do you keep moving? So well, I feel like I feel like the, the pro big government people have been doing that ever since basically the turn of the century. I'm talking absolutely. about the 1900s. Yep. Ever since the, you know, the, I'm a big, you know, anti federal reserve guy, that kind of thing. That's where I'm coming from. Yep. You know, anti income tax, that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, which, 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 you know, aligns with hardcore conservatives as well. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, um, in theory. I, so, w- w- the hardcore yeah. conservatives so don't actually those, do those, it. Those, they, they talk it, they don't actually do it. No, but I'm saying those two issues align ide- ideologically. Yes. You know, I'm talking about the hardcore. I'm talking Correct. about the true believers. Yep. Correct. So what I'm saying is uh, it, the other side, uh, the pro-government side, the pro-big government side, has been doing that for over the last hundred years. Yes. And very successfully. And they keep they keep moving the goalposts. You know what I mean? Like you said, they keep moving a little bit. So anybody who says incrementalism doesn't work, they have to look at <laughs> politics for the last hundred years. Absolutely. And say that's just not true. But, but it's not just in politics, right? There's a saying in business, it took, it took them 10 years to become an overnight success, right? right. The issue is yeah. we, we only see the tipping point, right? Malcolm Gladwell wrote that book years ago on a tipping point. And we just go up, 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 and then boom, it goes off, right? But incrementalism gets us going and then boom, it explodes. So we keep, we were moving towards more, you know, executive and governmental power and then 9-11 hits and that's tipping point. Boom. Now, all of a sudden, it's completely okay to bomb people that are Americans. It's okay, to, right? It just happens. It goes there. Gun control was a similar issue, right? Gun control began with the idea of trying to keep guns out of, out of, out of the hands of former slaves, right? And then right. out of the hands of Black Panthers. And then before you know it, we got red flag laws. We got people knocking down people's doors, and there's, you know, holdouts, and, and there's standoffs in people's homes. So I think incrementalism absolutely does work. I'm not against it, but critical pieces are you moving in the right direction and do you not accept whatever your 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 win is as the new norm and again to be forward that's not easy to do right because sometimes you say well i got this far i'm done but we've got to make sure we keep moving forward one of the things you see me doing in my own state i keep bringing new people into the movement because sometimes the guy or the gal who wins the revolution Maybe shouldn't be running the government. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And there's, there's, there's and, tons of examples of that. that yes, that's the form of revolution. Absolutely. And it's something else, you know, to ask an individual to have more than one revolution in their life may be also too much to ask. So maybe I should do my mini revolution and then hand it off to somebody else and let them do the next revolution. And then have someone else let them do the next revolution. And I can sit back and watch now. I, I did my bit. Now it's your turn. 
And if we can keep that going and not expect one guy or one gal to be the constant revolutionary, eh, we probably can get some stuff done. So I, I think you and I are kind of on the same page. Do you think on that specific issue of diversion programs and offering, uh, you know, uh, rehab instead of jail, uh, do you think that that is a step towards liberty, a step towards where you want to go? Anytime that we give someone a choice, that's a that's a better option than no choice, right? I'm not a fan right. of putting people in, you know, join the Marines or jail, but that's better than just jail, right? Right. It's and better than just jail. But that's a good analogy, but that actually helped a lot of people when they yes. used to do it, so. Absolutely. So, look, I was in the Marines, right? I'm happy I joined the Marine Corps. It, it did a lot of good for me as a 17-year-old punk. It did a, very, a lot of good stuff for me, so I'm, I'm happy I did it. But I volunteered, right? No one told me to do it. It wasn't required. I wasn't drafted. I decided, right. I made a decision, and I went, right? So I, if you give people choices, yes, it's always better. Of course, I wish jail was not an option. But if jail's going to be an option, would I take jail or this, jail or that? Absolutely yes, 100%. As long as we're moving closer and closer towards, towards freedom. The reality of it is, and I'm sure you see it, and some people do, our country right now is marching directly towards oligarchy, if it isn't there already. But it's on its way, if not there already. And eagerly moving towards it, eagerly. We are happily marching towards it. I just want to turn it around and face in the right direction. And the odds of me being the guy who gets us to a voluntary society are slim to none. I get that. That's for someone else to do. Let me turn the country around to the best of my ability. Let me do my bit to turn the country around. And someone else pick up the, the, the torch from me and take it even further. And someone will pick it up from then and take it even further. But we got to turn it around first. So right. I, I'm with you. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. So he spent a lot of time on prohibition. Drugs, big one. But I want to go to something else. I think we have to worry about regulation, not just prohibition. The more we regulate some of these drugs, we wind up having it to where big business wins. Which is why when I wanted to deal with my cannabis in New York State, I joked, but I was serious. I started joking, but I be it became serious. The idea of regulating them like onions, right? Regulate. Regulation as a general rule is not by default bad. Regulate is supposed to be. It isn't now, but it's supposed to be to make regular, right? That's regulate, to make regular, to say, you know, to make, um, to make uh, everyone use the dollar, to make measurements the same, Things of that sort, rules and regulations for trade similar. That's, that's the original goal of regulate. But we've changed that. And now regulate is dominate and control. It's completely changed. If you're saying you want to just make it to where we all understand that an ounce is an ounce is an ounce and a dollar is a dollar and crossing state lines is, means it has federal rules, that's fine. But do we require government for that? Not necessarily. But that's about regulation is fine. But once you start making it serious, making real rules and regulations, and I talked about regulating it like onions. Why? Because I wanted people to be able to grow their own cannabis products in their own farms and for small farms to create craft grows that would actually grow 
the industry locally that would grow small business that would allow people who are poor to grow their own medicine and to actually help people. That was the goal. But when we regulate this too much, I'll guarantee you, big business wins, small business loses. The FDA gets more control, hurts and kills more people, and small businesses get the shaft. Happens again and again and again. It's not just about legalizing it or making it available. It's also about not having a regulatory environment to where only big business wins. And you'll see that again and again and again. All right, I'm going to head over to Ohio and I'm going to take Jedi from Ohio. Jedi, how are you? Fantastic. And yourself? I'm doing well. Talk to me, my friend. Well, hey, it's nice. Uh, this is Larry Sharp, right? That's who it is. The one, the only. That's awesome. I, I have been watching a little bit of what you've been doing to spread liberty yourself. Thank you. And, and as one of our presidential candidates, uh, you know, I'm excited to finally get to talk to you. Well, this is presidential candidate night. I didn't realize that. Awesome. I love it. And, you know, liberty is such a fun topic that the average person really doesn't understand. It's true. If you ask the average person and you, if you notice, it is actually very rare that I actually use the words liberty and freedom unless I'm talking specifically to libertarians because the average person doesn't get it, right? If you ask the average person, are you free? They say, I'm free. I went to work today, right? I say, <laughs> that's what they say, right? If you ask the average person, do you care about your liberty? They say, liberty, what's this, the 1700s? They don't get it, right? They don't understand it. So I think you're totally correct. It's a fun subject, but one that I think the average American either doesn't get or doesn't want to get or is even bored by sometimes. Well, that's the thing, though, is even the typical libertarian doesn't really get it because there's two main definitions for liberty. Okay. Yes, you have the freedom to do what you want when you want to do it. Okay. But the other aspect of liberty is you have the resources, a.k.a. money, to do what you want when you want to do it. So unless you're independently wealthy and are financially free, you're not free. Unless you're financially free, you're not free. Okay, explain that one to me. Well, if you want to travel around the country, if you want to go out of the country, you have all these extra fees for passports, airline travel, you know, hotels and everything else, that if you don't have the resources, you really don't get to travel. So you're saying that if the government, and if I'm hearing you right, if the government has high fees, taxes, things of that sort, then they are actually hindering your freedom? Is, is that the argument? Oh, that is absolutely part of it. But then, uh, but then have, isn't, but, isn't it then, in theory then, isn't that anyone who wants to charge that? Doesn't an airline then hinder your freedom? Doesn't a, doesn't a, a taxi hinder your freedom by charging you or by missing something? Well, it's to have your freedom to do it, you have to build and develop the resources. I, and this is why, you know, Thomas Jefferson talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like, you're born, you're alive. And, and liberty and the pursuit of happiness are things you have to work for. And it's not a spectator sport. Yeah, but he doesn't say pursuit of life, pursuit of liberty. He says, well, not him, but the, the, the founding documents say life, liberty, and pursuit and of happiness. Pr- so I'm assuming mm-hmm. then that liberty in this case is a given. 
that life in this case is a given, but happiness is not a given. That's how I read them. Am I wrong? Oh, I, I, I'm right there with you. And if you look back, even just back to the 50s and 60s, one person working in a family mm-hmm. could pay all the bills, pay for your medical costs, and be able to travel and go on vacations and have fun. Mm-hmm. Now, due to crony capitalism where you know fees and things are going through the roof, yeah. And all the extra taxes we have, you have two parents working. Yeah. And you are just fighting to survive, and you're not able to thrive anymore. Okay. Un- unless you, unless you are like get financial intelligence and plan through, but that's intentionally kept out of schools to keep you know the kids brainwashed to be just smart enough to be a worker and push the button, but not question why are you pushing this button. Oh, okay. And um, look, if you're gonna, if you're asking me about education system, obviously I'm gonna buy that, right? Our education system is an industrial style education system that was built with the assumption that most of these people in the in the uh, classroom were gonna go off to work in factories, right? And if they're gonna go off to work in factories, the current school system, like you said, not a bad idea. Just go in, don't think, press the button, because when you get out, you're gonna go work in a factory. Don't think, press the button. I got it. Totally, totally worked and worked literally for decades. The problem is now mm-hmm. we're in a post-industrial world, and that value is nowhere near what it should be anymore. And we need to be out of this idea. And I need your brain. I don't need your, your arms and legs hardly at all. I need your initiative. I need you to be able to think. The idea of, 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 of rote learning is less and less valuable. I mean, I've said it more than once, and I have my daughter here who's in high school, and I say it even to her. For the vast majority of high school students, it's just four years of marking time until you're an adult. There's literally almost uh-huh. no value in what you're learning. Ha- at least half of the stuff you learn in high school, you will never, ever use again. At least half, if not 75%. The majority of stuff learned is not how to think. The majority of stuff learned is not how to problem solve. The majority of stuff learned is stuff that a computer will know, a Google will know immediately, and you will not have to ever worry about it ever again. That's, I mean, I think we're on the same page here. I'm not sure where you're going with this conversation, Jedi. I like it, but I'm not sure where it's going. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, changing the education system is something that's very big for me. Okay. Because of what you just said. And it's not just that. They're brainwashing people with what to think, telling them you have to think and believe this way, especially when you start getting into higher colleges. Mm -hmm. Like I know Baldwin Wallace right here in Northeast Ohio is straight-up Democrat-producing factory. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's probably a a lot of that. Hold on, man. Barbara, you want to talk about this? I'm, I'm sure there's some colleges that go other ways. Hold, but, hold you know, on one I, second. I, I, hold on one second, Jedi. My daughter's in high school. She's in high school right here in Manhattan. She goes to uh, Columbia uh, High School here in, in Manhattan. What do you think about what he's saying? What do you mind what I said? Am I, am I full of it or not? Oh, no, you're right, Daddy. Like, it doesn't. Smart kid. Hear that? Smart kid. You're right, Daddy. Smart kid. <laughs> you're right. Like, all the stuff I learned, I, they apply it in real life, but I'm not really going to do that in real life. I. It's fun to be with you here instead <laughs> yes. somewhere else. Um, it's just I'm not going to l- use that stuff ever. Like I'll be like, I don't know, trying to start a business and I'll be like, but I know how to graph an exponential function. <laughs> it's not going to help me at all. Yes, exactly. A, a program will probably do that for you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Okay, see, you're, you're Jedi, we all, we're all on the same page. I appreciate it, my friend. I, I feel you. I actually wrote a book specifically for this. So where, um, so it, tell it, me right now, where can we find you and or that book? 
Um, you can find me on Facebook, Jedi Hill or Jedi for USA. And the book is Alchemy and the Master's Path. There we go. You can we get it. it on you can get it on Amazon or you can go to my website, alchemythemasterspath.com, and download it for free. There we go. Because it's not about the money. And the book teaches children and adults how to regain control of their thoughts and their emotions. There we because go. Because the skills we need in the next generation is imagination, creativity. I completely agree. You know, because People don't understand where robotics and things are going. No, I, like, I see been, that all the time. I've I'm been, totally with you. Like, I've been dealing with it since the DOS days when it was just a black screen with a dash, and I understand where Bill Gates and them are going. I love it. In, in the next 10 to 20 years, 80% of jobs are gone. So we have to create whole new economies, and we're going to an attention-based economy. I like that, an attention-based economy. That's good. All right, so look, I got to run. I got people on the line. I appreciate it. Thank you for calling in. This is obviously presidential uh, candidate night. Uh, please call in presidential candidate. I guess it's tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jedi. Thank you. Have a wonderful night. You too. All right. So, Barbara, I hope I didn't put you on a spot there. Was that okay? No, it's okay. I like talking. Okay, good. All right. So, yes, my daughter says, you're right, Daddy. Well done. All right. Um, I'm going to head back to New York again. We are back in New York. We are going to talk to Matt from Long Island. Matt, how are you, sir? Hold on, Matt. Matt, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you, sir? Go ahead. I'm good. How you doing? Good. So I caught the show uh, a little bit later than when it started, but okay. I heard you talking about regulation. Yes. And how with regulation, all we're really doing is handing whatever industry that the product's based on to the big players of the industry. Very often. And I, I can't agree more with that because, uh, as you know, the vaping industry, which I'm oh, a part of. Oh, yes, absolutely. After First off, after what happened in New York City, which was completely atrocious, um, they now are banning the sale of all flavored vapor products in New York City in the five boroughs. Except? Um, except what flavor? Except for tobacco flavor. Yes, what a coincidence that is. is that's crazy. And <laughs> yes. menthol cigarettes. Yes. My daughter literally just said, that's crazy. Yes. She can't believe it. All the kids in my school are, a bunch of kids in my school are vaping. Is that true? Yeah. They have posters on the wall and they're like, oh, don't vape. I mean, people are dying from cigarettes a lot more than vaping, but you know. Did you hear my daughter just <laughs> well, say actually, that? Well, no one, actually, no one has died from vaping uh, e-liquid. Um, the only deaths that could be uh, from vaping in general, have been from the black market THC cartridges, which are sold on the street. And uh, vape uh, cartridges with THC is already illegal in New York State. This is the yet. part, Matt, that I have to bring up here. And I, and, and I think you and I have talked about this in the past, but I got to say it again because it drives me absolutely crazy. I know you're on my side, but I'm safe for my audience with anything else. I ask people all the time who are anti-vape. They tell me all the time, oh, vaping kills, vaping kills. I say, great, I'm glad. I'm glad you think that. Can you please tell me, if you don't mind, what store in New York State sold those products that killed those people? And they go, well, uh, I go, yeah, no store. Never happened. There's not a store in New York State that sold one cartridge or one anything to anybody that killed them. Not one. Doesn't exist. So where'd it come from? Correct. 
Well, it came from, the, you know, these guys on the street. Yeah, that's right. The guys on the street where it's already illegal. Those people, again, where it's all, there's already a war against them, and yet this war is also losing, right? So now instead we've decided we are now going to now punish the people who were doing the right thing. The, the, the vape shops who were doing the right thing, following the law, not selling to minors, selling products that are, that are real and safe because they actually care. Those people get punished. And when those, those, now those flavors aren't in the stores, they're going to go right to the black market. So we're, we're rewarding the black market. We are literally rewarding yep. child killers. Literally. Yep. In the name of safety or righteousness, we are rewarding child murderers. That's what we're doing. And shaking our fists and acting like we're so awesome and great. Meanwhile, we support the black market and the people who do the right thing, they're the ones who get put. This is no difference when you when you go to your your you go to a meeting at your at your job and some people are absent and the boss gets mad because some people are absent and he starts yelling at you. I'm tired of people being absent from my meetings. Boss, we're here. Why are you yelling at us? Right. Yell at the people who didn't show up. But the only people that the boss has is the people in front of him. So to be righteous, he yells at them. This is what we're doing. To be righteous, we're punishing the people who are doing the right thing. And in the long run, you know exactly what's going to happen. Big Tobacco is going to walk in and pick up all of this market and put all the small guys out of business. And the Big Tobacco puts more money in their pockets of, of... of politicians. Exactly. And to touch on that more with a regulatory sense, so we have the um, post-market tobacco applications that every e-liquid company, every uh, manufacturer has to fill out through the FDA to get FDA approval. Mm -hmm. The cost of the PMTA process is upwards to millions of dollars per product. There's the only companies that will survive that are the big tobacco companies. Yes. Those are the companies that have already inserted themselves in the vaping industry. This isn't the mom-and-pop company down the block that, you know, quits smoking cigarettes and wants to make uh, e-liquid that will help other people quit smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. These are multi-billion dollar companies that can afford the regulatory process because even after filling out all these uh, the PMTAs, it's not even a guaranteed approval. Right. You're yes. paying all this money for a 50-50 shot. Yes. So we've been asking for a separate pathway for approval for vapor products. And it was actually really interesting that we've had representatives sit at the table with President Trump along with other organizations um, – to talk about the vaping issue and it was really interesting to see that all these other companies admitted uh enjoy in particular which was one of the first vape companies out there Mm -hmm. even admitted saying that we'll be fine if there's a flavor ban or whatever it's all these other companies that will not survive yes the big the big business wins absolutely absolutely our our country that's supposed to be the american dream doing something you love, making a career out of it, Yes, believing in what you're doing is now being thrown away to these multi-billion dollar corporations that can navigate 
uh, regulatory environments. Yep. You know, that's why Juul got rid of their old CEO and replaced it with an Altria CEO because Altria knows how to do a regulatory environment. Absolutely. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, Altria used to be Philip Morris. Yes. For those of you who don't know, that used to be the big cigarette company. They changed their name to Altria. So, yes, big tobacco. Absolutely. Yes, 100%. This, this is exactly what, 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 what I see when it comes to regulation. I see that with any type of what I would call vice product, right? Whether that's uh, cigarettes, whether that's alcohol, whether that's vaping, whether that's marijuana, you name it. If we over-regulate, we will ensure big business wins, small business loses, and when small business loses, what people don't understand, that means the little guy loses. How? What is the best way that someone gets out of a poor neighborhood or a bad situation or turns their life around? The most common way is through entrepreneurship. Uh-huh. That's how you do it. So when you begin to cross Especially with jobs being so hard to find in New York as it is right now. Yes. Especially in New York. I mean, I have friends that have quit their – um, their original day jobs and put everything they had into making their e-liquid company. And they yes. make very good products that are made in a um, registered lab, Yes, doing everything the right way. And they might not even survive because the PMTAs are due in May. Yep. So regardless of what happens, the whole industry can be wiped away in May 2020 Due to regulatory action Absolutely. and overregulation. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Matt, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook, Matthew Elliott. You can find me on YouTube, uh, the Vaping Legion Network. And you can follow me on Twitter, Grim Elliottini. And you can email me at GrimElliottini at gmail.com. There we go, guys. This is working. The, the more we talk about this, the better chance we have of slowing this down and hopefully eventually stopping it. Remember, what's that? 13 million vapors, is that right? 13 million vapors, 13 which million is 13 vapors. million voters. 13 million voters. That might that might actually uh, decide uh, the election coming up here. Don't forget, you guys, libertarians support vaping. So I'm just saying libertarian Oh, and candidate. we support the libertarians. <laughs> there we go. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate the call. Thank you, Larry. Always a pleasure. All righty. Have a good one. All right. Yes, I think he's right. I mean, right, overregulation is definitely... An issue, but I don't just want to go with drugs. I do a lot with drugs. I also want to go to the idea of how do we handle sex work. Sex work is another thing where we try to have prohibition. We're going to stop this. We're going to stop escorts. We're going to stop prostitution. We're going to stop uh, strippers. We're going to stop you know whatever. We're going to stop all these things, right? These are, they're all bad and they're all terrible and. The issue that we have here is we've been trying to put some type of prohibition on sex work for literally thousands of years, and it hasn't worked ever, ever. It doesn't work. Just like I said, there are some people who want to get high and hang with their friends. There are some people who want to go have sex. In fact, lots of people want to go have sex. They do. And there are people who are prepared to do that service for a fee. You might go, Larry, it's wrong, it's bad, it's horrible, it's this, it's that. Maybe it is. And maybe I don't know any better. And maybe sex work is terrible. I don't know. Maybe it is. It's still your body. It's still your money. It's still the idea of once you make it illegal, what it does is it 
hurts women. Usually it hurts poor women. More, more than not, it hurts poor women of color and or immigrants. More than other fields. So literally, as you make sex work illegal, you are by default punishing poor women and poor women of color more than, than poor women not of color. Why would I want to do that? But Larry, it's bad, and there's drugs, and there's, you know, diseases, and there's all these things. I hear that all the time. But the data is in, guys. The data is in. When it comes, when you make sex work legal, there is there are less drugs, there are less diseases. You have safer women. You have women who actually are able to get out of it if they want to. When you get into the, the illegal sex working world, particularly selling sex, man, is it hard for you to get out. That is very hard for you to get out. In many cases for many poor women, the only way out is prison or death. But in the only real example we have here in America, which is the, the, the Nevada um, example, women can get out. Women do get out. And in a high-end escorts, which are often overlooked, women can get out if they want to get out. But here's another thing people don't realize. Not all women want to get out. Some women are totally happy in the sex working industry. Not everyone wants to get out. If you want to get out, you should be able to get out. If you don't want to get out, make that your career. That's your business. Why would I, why, why does it bother me? What winds up happening is we wound up by default punishing poor women, poor women of color, and also uh, gay men more than straight men. When it comes to the sex work industry, when it comes to men, more gay men are in the sex worker industry than, than straight men. So we also want to put it punishing gay men by percentage. I'm sorry, by percentage. So you, you find that happening also. And also trans, the trans community, same thing. More of them by percentage are in. So we're punishing them. I don't know. I, I think our GSM community has been punished enough. I think we can stop punishing them anymore. I'm okay with stopping that. I think we can. We have an issue here where, again, prohibition doesn't work. It just wants hurting the poor and little guy. And it's not going away. People go to jail for this and they still do it. They go to jail multiple times and they still do it. It's not going. Rich people do it. Poor people do it. Everybody's doing it. Let's make it safe. Let's shine a light on it. If you don't like the behavior, I'm actually okay with that. If you don't like the behavior, you have every right to say you don't like it, every right to talk about it. Shine a light on it. Tell people how much you don't like it and how bad it is. Please do that. Just don't punish poor women because of your righteousness. Instead, show them how right you are and hope they decide, you know what? You're right. I'm going to stop. I'm going to get out. But if it's legal, they'll be able to. If you convince them that they're wrong, then they'll be able to. And if you don't, they don't have to be beaten, raped, imprisoned, scarred for life. All right. I'm going to grab a couple of the people here. I don't know if we want to go into uh, that world, but I'll jump across. I'll head back to New York again. I'm going to grab Peter from Rochester, New York. He wants to talk about libertarians, which is not bad. I like libertarians. I'm one of them. So, Peter, how are you? Hey, doing good, Larry. How are you doing? What's going on? 
Uh, so I was listening to the podcast a little bit before, and uh, briefly you were going over how you tend to use only the words liberty and freedom for those who are also part of the Libertarian Party yes. or the Libertarian Movement. And it kind of got me to thinking is that I feel like for all the issues that we have covered, we have refined these ideas enough to a point where I'm just curious, at, at what point is it that we kind of go beyond our own circle or breach our own bubble? And how is it that we get to bring more and more people into the similar mindset where they could understand those terms across any issue that it is that we talk about? You know, how do we more bring more people into the fold for people like me who have our, our feet on the ground in society and uh, just bring more people in? Yeah, I think we actually do it by not using those words. I think we do it by simply providing value and answers for for people's problems, right? People have asked me often, Larry, do you, should I be talking about the Libertarian Party? Larry, should I be the Libertarian Movement? What should I talk about? And I say, neither. Instead, just give people libertarian solutions for their problems. And you will watch them go, oh, that sounds great. They'll start saying yes, and it's the best part. If you give them solutions that they like, they will assume that you are their party. So if people like what I'm saying, Democrats go, oh, you must be Democrat. And Republicans go, oh, you must be Republican. They assume that I am their party. That's their assumption. So when they assume that, they will then listen to me. I don't tell them unless they ask or unless they see my shirt that screams it. Unless that happens, I don't tell them. So I just talk about solutions. Let them come up. They will begin to learn the lingo when they come back and join our world. And that's okay. I'm not concerned with converting people to my way up to my language. They'll come to my language when they're ready. Right now, I want to speak their language, right? If, if I am selling a product or service, the worst thing I can do is use jargon when I'm talking about my product or service. I want right. to speak the language of my audience. So that's why I'm not concerned about it. They will eventually learn my jargon. I'm sure if you ever tried anything new, some new game, some new idea, some new hobby, when pe people first talked to you about it, they didn't use jargon. Then you began to join and talk to them more and you began using their jargon. I'm not concerned. I don't care if they understand what liberty means or freedom means. Just think that my solutions are good and they will eventually get it. Right. So it's almost a sense of just removing politics from the issue entirely, because one, one trend that I have noticed is that with, with you in particular, you do tend to tackle more uh, visceral, more real life issues Constantly. and talking about it pragmatically as, as if it was just a conversation in the living room by this point. You know, it's not like that you're on a podium talking to another politician. I think it's a healthier way to go about it. Uh, just from personal experience, what I've noticed is almost being more inquisitive, asking questions like, well, well, hang on, uh, your solution, which is not that I say these exact words, but your solutions, which have been tried for the past 50 years, and have gotten us nowhere. Like, how is it exactly that will work? And it's almost trying to get them to kind of prove it to themselves. Absolutely. I, I, I've, see, I've seen that being like a good method. Um, not that I have too, too much success uh, bringing too many people over all the way. Maybe it's just that I'm, I'm rushing but, but hold things. On. Uh, they you, they to don't a have to come over all the way. They don't, right? And I bring this up here in New York, right? In New York, we had about 103 victories in New York this year, uh, vic uh, um, political victories. About seven of those, I think seven of those, were people who were libertarian only. Of the other 96, they were fusion candidates, meaning a mix-up. They were also Republican or also Democrat or also independent. 
and libertarian. And people might say, well, those aren't good. They're not real libertarians. The issue is all of those people move their views towards liberty. Now, did they become libertarians? No, but they move towards liberty. That's a win. Second, they're okay having a libertarian line. Also a win. We first have to get people to not think we're crazy, to just think it's okay to vote for us. It's okay to hear us. So I don't have to convert them all the way. Eventually, I hope I do. That's my long-term goal. But as I was saying earlier, the odds of me getting us to that, you know, utopia, that libertarian utopia, pretty slim. I get that. But I'll turn us around and then someone else pick up the torch to finish the job. I'm totally fine with that. I know this is a multi-year, this is a multi-decade maybe even, mission right, of course. for us to move down this road. I'm okay with that. If you notice, if you see next to me, my sign, if you're watching, where is the word liberty or freedom on this sign? Yeah, nowhere. Uh, this is true, yeah. Nowhere. Yeah, it's nowhere there. That's correct. I want you to, I want you to think I'm a human being. I want you to want to talk to me, and then we'll figure out if I'm libertarian or not later. Right, right. It's almost kind of like the, uh, like the blind taste test. You know, Nobody knows who you are. You're trying to kind of keep that out of the way. And um, just come up with something that does sound plausible, which most of our ideas do. Yes, absolutely. Exactly correct. And uh, yeah, try to make it as humane as possible. I guess that's going to be the key thing. Like just keep the people talking with people by that point. That's what I'm talking about. That's the other thing too, right? I I feel like now, especially after 2016, I feel like people are so tired of all the vitriol and divisiveness that has gone on uh, since the elections and still continue to this day. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but from what I've seen, People really couldn't give a damn about the 2020 elections coming up. Like people are still so tired from 16. And I think trying to keep it more on just a personable level, I, I think it is an ideal strategy. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's the only way, my friend. So anyway, I appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good night, Larry. Have a good night. All right. <clears throat> Look, for, for those of you out there who are not libertarians, please keep watching. You don't have to be libertarian to watch this show. You don't have to be libertarian to tell your friends about it. It's okay. I hope you like the ideas and concepts I'm talking about. If you notice, I bring people on my show who aren't libertarians. I bring people on my show who are Republicans, Democrats, Greens. I ha- I'll take any phone call. People who think I'm right or wrong doesn't matter. This is, a, this is about conversations. I'm never yelling at people, getting mad at them, scolding them, beating them up. I don't want to win debates. I want to have conversations. I believe that I'm right. That's what I believe. And if I believe that I'm right, that means I have to be able to have a conversation with you and have you go, yeah, then that guy's right. I don't want to just yell at you. That's not the right answer. Uh, I hope that people understand that's what I'm trying to achieve. And because we are a small party, a small movement compared to the rest of 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 the country, we are the ambassadors. And if we're jerks, they will think that our entire movement's full of jerks. If we're humans... They will think our entire movement is full of humans. Let me quickly uh, see if I can grab a couple of uh, comments from the web. Uh, prisons aren't about rehabilitation, and the fact that drugs get in should be a first clue. It's true. We do not have a criminal justice system. We have a punishment system. That's what it is. It's about punishment and just and, 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 and righteousness, not about justice or rehabilitation. It's absolutely true. Uh, another comment, drug testing for THA needs to be illegal in this state. I have a hard problem. I have a hard, uh, I, 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 I have a problem with saying it should be illegal. Um, because if you don't want that in your um, company, 
I have a hard, I'm maybe at the state level, maybe for federal for the federal government perhaps, but for an individual, I'm not sure. That's that's a tough one for me to go to the illegal piece, right? Maybe saying that the the state won't do it, okay? Um, not sure I can go to illegal. That that kind of gets my libertarian blood going. Eh, I don't know if I want to create that law. Um, another comment: the statistical likelihood of a person becoming an addict is the same now as it was before prohibition. About ten percent of the population will become addicts. I don't know if that's true, but that sounds totally true. It does sound true. I, I hope it's true, and it makes sense. I mean, prohibition doesn't stop you from wanting to get high. Prohibition doesn't stop you from doing, in certain cases, um, self destructive behavior. So, absolutely. Um, the war on drugs is also tied to the general poverty problem raised on food stamps and food pantries, church handouts, government health care. The kids are brought up in that environment and the majority of the time carry on that life, having babies for banknotes. Um, I'm not sure it's 100% true, but there's a very valid point there, right? When you have an environment to where everyone around you has gotten a check every month, your family, your friends, your, your parents, your grandparents, it doesn't create a good environment for you to go out and do something different. Right, if a lot of your parents have been the drug trade, it doesn't really mean it doesn't really make it a, a good chance for you to do something different, right? That so that that's definitely an issue. All right, um, let me see if I can grab some more people. Um, I want to head over to uh, going to stay in New York, and we're going to shift over from I talked about sex work, I talked about um, drugs and alcohol. Now I'm talking about gambling and the mafia. Gonna grab uh, Christian from New York. Christian, how are you? Oh, hold on, he's almost here. And maybe he's gonna be here. We'll see in a second. Hello? One second, guys. And maybe I'm not gonna get Christian. Christian, are you there? I'm not getting him. All right, no worries. Um, I will not get Christian for now. Christian, if you're there, hold on. We'll see if he can grab you. Instead, I will. Uh, I'll stay in New York, and I will go off of gambling in the mafia. And instead, I'll go to automation, and I will try to grab Jason from New York. Jason, are you there? Hey, this is Christian, Larry. Oh, I got Christian after all. Yes, all right, perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Christian, how are you? How are you? Good. Good, thanks. How are you? Good. Um, I just wanted to bring up, because uh, I don't know that anybody had hit on gambling yet, but uh, just looking at it from a couple angles regarding how it's another one of those things that, while banned in most states at certain points in time, yeah. just feeds into criminal organizations because it's just an inevitable piece of humanity trying to have fun. Um, but then something I was wondering if you could enlighten me on, because I'm basically uninformed on it Okay, is, uh, so it feeds into the, into the mafia in the early 1900s, but I'm really not sure on the justification of keeping it illegal versus having state run lotteries and how is it them wanting a monopoly for tax revenues essentially, or I really don't get the, uh, cognitive dissonance on having a state-run lottery versus uh, having uh, gambling illegal. Yes, remember something, for the average American, if you ask the average American, is monopoly bad? They will say, yes, monopoly is bad. But what about a government monopoly? Government monopoly. 
Oh, well, um, hmm. They feel like government monopoly is somehow okay or better, right? Because government means it's not about the money. It's about something else, right? The idea mm-hmm. of gambling in general, most people believe it's a bad thing. Most people believe that. The funny thing is so many people do it. Again, they've been trying to ban gambling forever, yet still we keep gambling. People like gambling. They like playing poker. They like betting on the ponies. They like betting on on uh, on football games. They like betting. People enjoy gambling. Same idea. We're never gonna make it. We're never gonna make it to where it goes away, right? If you shine a light on it, as a general rule, shine a light on any bad behavior, and there will be less of that behavior. That's not a hundred percent rule. It's a very good general rule. You shine a light on bad behavior, people see how bad it is, it gets better because you shine a light on it. One example of that is drunk driving, right? You tend to find less drunk driving as you shine a light on it, it shows how bad it is, you tend to find that. But there's still drunk driving. People still do it, right? But you, you do shine a light on that type of thing. That bad behavior changes how people think about it. So when it comes to gambling, if we would just shine a light on all the bad things about gambling, you will find less people gamble. But some people will. Where, where's the best place to gamble? Well, as a general rule, places like casinos. Not that I'm saying you should go to a casino, but places like casinos. Why? It's legal. If you get in trouble, they tend to use the law much more than, you know, you know mob enforcers. Some of them, I'm sure, still use them, but a whole lot less. You know your odds. They, like, show you the odds. If they cheat you, you actually have recourse. If they cheat you, they can be sued or shut down. There's actual chance that the guy who's in charge might go to jail if he's a cheat, if he's you know not 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 doing the right thing. Um, it tends to be clean. There tends to be you know less bad stuff in a casino. So if you're gonna pick a place to gamble, I'd rather gamble a casino. It is a safer, better place to gamble. Do people lose their fortunes in casinos? Of course. Do people gamble away their rent? In casinos. Of course, people make bad decisions constantly. But if you're going to make a bad decision, do I want to make a bad decision in a casino where the worst thing will happen is I'll get bad credit? Or do I want to make a, a, a bad decision in gambling with, uh, you know, Johnny the Loan Shark and it ends up with me literally getting my, my, my pinky chopped off or my legs broken, right? Or my, or my, my kids, you know, uh, kidnapped for extortion or whatever the case may be, right? So right. without question, it is going to be safer, better for everybody if we legalize gambling. So yeah, I think it's an analog that most people don't look at regarding uh, being out in the open and legalized versus not yes. similar to drugs, whether it's. Uh, you find illegal THC cartridges for your vape, and that kills people. Yep. Well, that wouldn't be the case if it was legal and just went through normal channels, and you could do research on the things. Yep. Uh, so in the same way, it's like okay, you break your kneecaps, or you go to the casino and you lose your money, which you were going to do anyway, and that's it. Yes, you will. Um, look, if, then, if, if you were going to lose your money, you were going to lose it anyway. But I'd rather you just have bad credit than be in a hospital. Right. Right. Um, and then I think the only other thing is, I'm I'm just curious, is the the only reasoning behind the the uh, regular or the banning of gambling in most cases just they it's a posturing of it's bad for the people therefore they can't do it is that the only reason it's a that was a that was the original right right don't do it it's a sin it's bad right of course don't do it right. it's a sin it's bad but now what happens is now the government has a monopoly on gambling 
Well, if the government mm-hmm. gives them a monopoly, they're giving up that stream of revenue. Right. The government now is addicted, particularly in states with large lotteries, it's addicted to that money. In New York State, we was that money was supposed to only go to education. I don't know if you happen to know that story in New York State. Originally, they, no, they, they made a lottery so that they could fund education. See, that's why. So it was so good. So pay the lottery so that we can have better schools. That was the original story behind it. Yeah, that well, was, tolls that was are only supposed to pay for the, the bridges. And exactly stuff. right. Tolls change. only when for they bridges. Get the money, they're not going to let go. Absolutely. They get addicted to the money. Now, if you're making X billion dollars on, on state lottery every single year, are you going to give that up? No. no. How are you going to replace that revenue? You're now addicted to that revenue. I can't give that up. I can't give that up unless the government gets a massive cut to make up for that. So government now has to control where casinos go or what is legal and what isn't or what they can do, what they can't do. So that government can get that cut. Right. And a sin tax pop by popularity is much more popular than any other tax. Right, because the people go, yeah, those evil gamblers, or ooh, those evil smokers, or ooh, those evil people who aren't me have to pay the tax for me. So that feels good, right? These people, they're gonna be messing up. I gotta pay for them, so they should pay that that tax. So sin taxes are relatively popular compared to other taxes. So if mm-hmm. right, I mean, do you know the amount of tax they have on cigarettes in New York State? Oh my god. Like, oh my god. A dollar extra per cigarette or something. It's terrible. insane. Yes, it's insane. So, of course, boom, there we go. Now I got to get my cut. So I think that the reason why gambling is illegal in many states, it's a, it's a, it's a money issue. Mm-hmm. It's a dollar issue. I mean, they, they've allowed that now the Indians, uh, the Native Americans, to have uh, casinos in New York State. My point right. is, why can't anyone have a casino in New York State? I don't know, because there's sort of a good, uh, good PR aspect to that, I suppose. Yeah, but why can't anybody? Why can't you just put up a, a casino wherever you want? Why not? Just that you're not allowed to say these things. They're reasonable. Just, but that's the point. <laughs> why not? Right? The point is, why not? do people want casinos? Yes, they drive hours to go to casinos. Literally, they, they in, in, back in my day, before we had casinos in New York State, people would fly to Vegas or go to Atlantic City where they could right. go, go to casinos. Too. Right? That's what you should do. It's a big deal to fly to Vegas and, 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 and gamble. People want to do that. So when you stop them, people go, well, I guess it won't do it. No, they still find ways of gambling because people want to gamble. They want excitement in their life. It's exciting. Again, this is not me. I don't gamble. Again, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the squarest guy out there. So it's so funny. I'm so square. I literally went to Vegas for my honeymoon about 20 years ago with my wife. I didn't drop a dime in, in, a, in, in gambling. It's not my thing. But it doesn't matter if it's my thing. It might be your thing or someone else's thing. What do I care? The, the last time I gambled, I think it was uh, I played poker with my friends. And I lost badly because I wasn't playing to win. I was playing that phone with my friends. And we they just gambled, so I gambled because my friends gambled. It's fine. We, I spent money. I was spending money with them or I was going to go spend it on whatever, a bar or something else. So I just gave it to them instead. So same idea. I was gambling just to have fun with my friends. I didn't really care about the gamble itself. This is, a, this is an important piece. It, it, it is a money grab that was based off of, as always, a moral issue. Now it's just a money grab. In reality, people should be able to gamble if they want to gamble, as long as it is transparent. I'm going to give. I'm saying something that might be, sound crazy for you. Uh, I think that if you want to make the stock market actually fairer, 
you get rid of the SEC and have the stock market run by a gaming commission. Because the stock market's gambling too. Just gambling. Yeah. But if you had it run by a gaming commission, it would actually be fairer. Because they'd have to put the real odds of your investment ahead of you. They'd have to come up with actual odds. Otherwise, they'd be lying. You'd actually have a fairer stock market if it was run by a gaming commission versus the SEC. And not just that. How about you have multiple gaming commissions? Multiple gaming commissions. And you can pick and choose which ones. uh, Expectations. Not just that. If you have multiple gaming commissions, what does that mean? Say say New York State, for example, decided to legalize um, uh, casinos. And they had two or three different gaming commissions. One was government-based. And one was, uh, I don't know, uh, industry-based. And one was consumer-based. Insert thing here. Three different types. And each casino could follow either one of them. All of them, some of them, none of them. And you as the consumer would pick which ones matter for you. You would pick. You'd go, I'm only going to a casino that is okay to give an A rating by all three gaming commissions. All of a sudden, now you've got really safe gaming, don't you? You've got fair gaming. I mean, how fair can gambling be? I mean, a house always wins. But relatively, at least you right. know what you're up against. Right? And you might even decide, I want to go to a, I want to go to a casino that if I start gambling too much, they'll stop me. Right? There may be a casino that does that. Right. Then, and again, if you don't want that, you won't go to that casino. But maybe you want a casino that says, dude, you can only drop a thousand bucks and that's it and we throw you out. But you would right. choose I, to go I to that, that one. Goes, that goes into the, the overarching point of, in most cases, people think that XYZ government uh, administration's seal of approval, which is required to go to market, yep. uh, would not be replicated with, without that administration existing like if it's the fda mm-hmm. um you would have eight million individual uh regular uh private regulation systems and you'd get your seal of approval from each one and then the people would be able to decide oh okay i know that the the uh the heart health association of america says yep. they give this their seal of approval therefore i'll buy that product this so is this the is thing. there's literally it's an example just, of this now it's called health food or natural food re- uh stores they're not regulated by the FDA, right. and they have exactly what right. you just said. And somehow, I don't see millions of deaths coming out of those places. Already there. No, they just they just put on the bottle. This could be nonsense. Correct. Take your chances. Do whatever you want. Not, but not do whatever you want. But they tell you who says it's good and who says it does isn't good, and you believe that group or you don't. Right, and some of them are just going to be like uh, garbage, uh, fake pharmaceuticals, which some have are. no accreditation to them. Correct. And therefore, you should know. Okay, I'll skip that. And some are going to be some miracle pills that work for you, and some are going to be placebos Correct. that you think work, yeah. so they actually work. All different. I completely either, agree. Either way, the FDA wouldn't approve any of them. So if Absolutely. It, if it helps you, then that's great. Exactly right. So anyway, I hope that was clear. Was that clear? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very awesome. much. Thank you, my friend. Have a good night. You too. All right. It looks like I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be staying in New York for a bit. I'm trying to get Jason back if I can. If I can head back to Jason, who called back. So, Jason, I'm glad you called back. Jason wants to talk about automation from New York. So, Jason, are you there? Yep. Jason, how are you, sir? I'm all good. Um, So, here's the thing. I want to tackle automation first. Okay. First things first, I'm really creeped out about the future when it comes to automation. Okay. For a 
for all of human history, let's just get this straight, for all of human history, the advanced technology was damn near negligible. You would have to look at centuries for, for that kind of thing to happen. Ever since our country was basically made, it shot up exponentially. And the thing is, at the rate at which technology is progressing, I don't think there's going to be a lot of jobs in the future left that robots really can't do themselves. Well, there's a couple things I want to bring up. Uh, the first thing is I think you're completely correct. And that is if you were an average you know, person in the 1400s or 1500s, right, you probably saw one technological advance in your entire life. Like you saw like, oh my God, the crossbow. And that was like the one thing you saw your entire life that was new. And that was that, right? But as you got older, yep. you would see multiple changes in technology throughout your life. In fact, even just go back like 100 years, like say, um, you know, someone would say, I only want 100, say like when my mom was growing up, right? If my mom was growing up, say in the 40s, uh, and someone said to her, hey, they made a technology that would allow you to teleport something from point A to point B. My mom would have said, that's not true. That would have never happened. What's wrong with you? She wouldn't believe it. You said, you said to somebody now, they'd be like, really? Like they would think is that that could have happened. They would believe that. So I think you're absolutely correct. The difference, though, is I think most of our younger generation is now better prepared for multiple changes in technology in their life. If you, you look at, say, someone my age, I'm in my 50s, and people uh, behind me, a lot of them aren't. Me and other people, we aren't as ready for that because we weren't raised in that. But my daughter's 15. She is ready to take on like four, five, six, seven different things in her life. So I think she is better prepared. That's number one. But it's the second piece you brought up, technology taking jobs. I think that's happened often also, right? Throughout you know, the horse taking away jobs, the car taking away jobs, insert thing here, the factory taking away jobs, all those things, right? Uh, better uh, metal taking away the, the scissors sharpening job goes away. Um, the seamstress job goes away. I think it's common. The issue here is that the youngsters have to be prepared to literally have five different careers during their life. If they are ready for that, not to have one career like people my age and older had, but to have five different careers in their life, they'll be fine because your point is a, is a valid one. What, what someone who is 18 or 19 years old doing now, 20 years from now, may be either totally different or not even exist. So they have to be prepared to learn constantly also. It's not like I went to school and I learned my stuff. Now I'm done. You've got to be able to know that you are going to constantly be learning your entire life until you eventually retire. If you're not okay with constantly learning and you're not okay with multiple um, careers, you're going to struggle. I think, again, you're completely right. But the next thing I bring when it comes to automation when automation comes into play, it often is better than the human. But eventually the human has to get back on board. And the example I will use often is chess. When I was a kid and they had those little cheap chess games, I used to be able in the 70s to beat a chess game. I could actually beat the game. Those days are way over. I cannot beat a chess computer now at all. But back then I could, right? Chess, uh, chess computers got better and better and better. Chess AI got better and better and better. So eventually the chess master was always beaten by the AI, and that's how it is now. But what beats AI? Chess master and human together beats AI. 
I think that's common with the horse, right? What's better than a horse uh, pulling a plow? Better than a man. What's better than a horse? Man telling the horse where to go. So if the kids of today work alongside the newest technology, I think they'll be fine if they better change so much. But guys like me, hopefully I retire in a couple years, don't have to worry about it. But the youngsters have to keep worrying about that. It is a problem. But there's the next thing, which is eventually, you know, how fast do we change? And when we change quickly, what happens to those who can't change quickly? That's a problem. I completely agree with you. Yep. My, my thing that's like really, I'm really concerned about it because like the, the conventional political consensus is ram a kid through college, they'll be fine. And then you realize 10 years on, wow, college is such a scam. Yeah, absolutely. No, like, useless. In most cases, college is useless, and that's been true for years. I think it was, oh, I, I think it might have been, oh, my God, I forgot. Uh, was it Goldman Sachs? Did it, did a uh, some kind of research, I think it was in 2014, if I'm not mistaken, 2013, where they actually did a, um, a study showing that unless you go to a specialized technical school like to be a doctor or a lawyer or engineer, that type of school is still good. Or Ivy League because of the networking, not because of the actual stuff you learn, but the networking in Ivy League school. Either of those two, it was still valuable to college. Everything else, it actually made more sense to not go to college. And the biggest reason was because of the debt you would incur over those four years that you could have been actually working. And having so much debt changes what you're able to do and decisions you're able to make when you get out of college which actually hinder your professional career. So unless you're going to either a specific technical school like doctor or engineer or going to an Ivy League school for the networking, Goldman Sachs said, don't even bother going to college. And that's already happening. And I just said earlier, if you you were listening, that for most kids in high school, it's just four years of marking time before you become an adult. You're not learning anything of any real value. I mean, the the amount of stuff you're learning is minimal that you're ever going to use again. Right, so I even think that in most cases is true. I'm really slamming education. I'm sorry, but we're in a we're in an education model that's built from from an industrial age when we're not industrial age, and this is the problem with government run schools. Government is always by default behind the learning curve, always. Exactly. It's like I think you said this on I think it was Glenn Beck show that colleges and universities have to become the training arm of you know, the business community. Yes, absolutely. And that's how it's going to... That's my, the only way to survive. I mean, I hate it for me because I do a lot of training for a living. Right? What, what I do often for a living is I do a lot of training. Now, the funny thing is I'm training college-educated people. They shouldn't need me. I'm training them on things like leadership and business. You should have learned that when you went to B school, but you didn't. You should have learned that when you went to college, but you didn't. So now but I'm the guy teaching those those things. So look, it's good for me because if they were doing the job right, I don't I don't get hired. But still, the the concept here is 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 obvious. Yep. And here's the biggest hurdle that I see, and this is where I transferred to New York politics. How are you going to tell a population? I'm not sure what the population in New York is, but it's like about 18 million. How are you? 18 million, give or take. But like, how are you going to tell the young people? Hey, you're going to have four to five careers and you're going to have to like work way harder than your parents have. And this is going to happen. And there's no way the job's coming back. Yep. Like, 
Yes. That's a really I say hard it all the time. Message. I literally go to schools and tell kids that. I say three things, that, and this is important. Now, my, my daughter's here, right? She's here. She's in high school. And I tell her this all the time. My daughter will get in trouble in school if her and her friends share their work, right? So, like, if one kid did the math homework or one kid does the science homework, they'll get in trouble. They have to hide that if they do that. Why was that stupid? Again, why was that stupid? The sharing economy is what we're in now. Why in the world wouldn't I want to share? Why in the world wouldn't I want to say that now? This entire world is about that. That's how you are successful in business. Is not by doing your work well in your world. It's by sharing and collaborating throughout all types of people, throughout all types of environments. Now, kids are doing it naturally because they live in a sharing economy, a sharing world already online. And now teachers in schools are saying, don't do that. That's your work. It's your work. Wow, is that stupid and backward? But we do it because, again, the government schools are behind. Barb, am I wrong? No, you're right. You're not wrong. There we go. See? From from the horse's <laughs> mouth. Exactly right, right? This is what we're trying to achieve. So I get it. I tell them this all the time, my friend. I say it. I tell them this. It's the future. Look at all Look at all the drivers who are going to be out of work soon from, from driverless cars. So a lot of problems are going to be happening. I agree. So let's get ahead of it. We're the movement who gets it. Let's make let let's make it as easy as possible. Thank you for the call, my friend. I yep. appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Have a good night. All right. Um, I wanna well, we I got a couple of sex work people coming up here, which I like. I want to talk about that. Let me talk. I'm gonna head over to Oregon. I'm gonna grab Alex. He wants to talk about the legalization of of sex work. Maybe against the idea of decriminalization. We'll find out. Alex, how are you? Uh, pretty good, Larry. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Talk to me, my friend. Talk to me. Well, it's just uh, one of the looking at a lot of the you know presidential front runners for the Democrats and the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Well, Trump. Uh, one of the things that you know they haven't really touched upon is you know the decriminalization of of sex work. Yeah. And I know that's been a uh, a long time libertarian ideal. You know, bodily autonomy um, and basically not giving the government any any of the proceeds that's why it's illegal do you see any of the democratic front runners either you know in the future or in the far future actually touching upon you know the success of decriminalizing sex work because it it's worked in nevada it works in europe and it works in you know japan and every other place on the planet but in the us we still kind of have taboos about you know bodily autonomy no no i i get it as a as a general rule there are certain things to remember i think tulsi gabbard is talking about decriminalizing sex work i'm pretty sure she is um but most of them aren't talking about it i think that's correct most are not talking about it it tends to not be a big issue to be forward when i was running for governor it was not at the top of any issue i mean i, I people hardly talked about it at all i had a policy because i thought i should have one because i personally cared but it was rare that anybody actually asked me a question when I was on the campaign trail. The, the, the media almost never, I think, I think actually never asked about it. I don't remember ever. They may have asked once or twice, but it was not a big issue. But it is a big issue for those people who are involved, right? And I think exactly. the Democrat Party will eventually have to go forward. The Republicans probably will not. They, I mean, Republicans still don't want, many Republicans still don't even want to legalize cannabis. So I do think Republicans True. probably will not move towards any type of legalization or decriminalization of sex work. 
I think Democrats will. And one of the big reasons is Democrats tend to, to, to pander heavily to the GSM or the LGBTQ communities. And what you may or may not know is there's a, a large percentage of that community in the sex work industry. So, in fact, no, um, actually, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was uh, I'm, I'm not really aware of the you know demographical breakdowns of, you know, which groups are, you know, primarily, you know, male or female prostitution. But it, that's interesting. Yeah. So I think they eventually will. I think it will take time because a lot of the world is still afraid. And a lot of the world also, if the Democrats spend it the time talking about the LGBTQ community, that's going to make a lot of people who are middle ground or right a bit afraid. Oh, my God, are we talking about gay sex, right? Oh, scares a lot of conservatives, right? They don't like to hear that. It worries them. So I think a lot of you're going to find Democrats not leading with this, but I think they kind of have to at one point. It just it makes sense. It's a large community of people who both, you know, are in the sex work industry and who, you know, the patrons, lots of them. So I think at one point they kind of have to. I think Republicans will stay in the closet and will not bring this up. But I think Democrats will. I think they have to. And I think they will. But then remember, though, the Nevada model, while better than no model, is not a great model. The Nevada model. Correct. I Go ahead. Correct. I, I, I've, I've done a little research, mm-hmm. and it's, it's very heavily restrictive. Um, it's only in essentially desert counties. But I do kind of have a follow-up question real Go quick. Go ahead. Um, and how it ties into um, criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you tie you know, decriminalization of sex work, don't you also kind of have to tie that into the greater prospect of criminal justice reform? And do you think that's a vehicle to kind of sell, you know, what, what, is, what is essentially, I'm not going to call it a human right, but, you know, it's nobody's business what a person does with their body, no, provided no, there, it's between two, two consenting here, adults. There's two pieces here. One, I get what you're saying, and many people in the sex working industry will say, well, look, the government should have nothing to do with this. And while I may agree, I have to accept that if you start giving money, the government's going to use the Commerce Clause and say, money was involved, I get my cut. So I just think Mm -hmm. that's going to happen. I'm not sure we can fight that issue. I think we're going to just have to do that for now. I don't think, I think going any further is probably just a bridge too far. But it's another piece here. There's a lot of money in this too. If you maybe you paid attention, maybe you're not. But all of a sudden, sex workers, by the way, now are all human traffickers. Now, have you heard this? Now, every uh, single person now yeah. who is in the sex working industry is either a human trafficker, a sex trafficker, or a victim of human trafficking, or a victim of sex trafficking. Automatically by default. Now, every 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 uh, sex worker is now a victim. Every one of them. Allah. A la Robert Kraft. Yes. Then all of a sudden what winds up happening is, and the reason is because as a general rule, Americans don't care that much about this anymore. Many Americans are not pro, but they're more fine, whatever, just not in my backyard. Not in my backyard. That's kind of all they care about. Not my backyard. Forget it, whatever. They're that way. But once you start calling it human trafficking or sex trafficking, now, all of a sudden, oh, my God, I care. 
Not just that. There yeah. could be a, a girl who's 17 or 18 or 17 or, or, or 16, and the cops will call it child pornography or pedophilia ring. Because people think, oh, pedophilia, you're trying to go out with 12-year-olds or something like that. They will go out of their way to, if they're one year underage, 17, they will call it a pedophile ring. They're trying to make this seem worse than it is. They're trying to make every single woman who, or even male, who's in the industry is a victim or a human trafficker. Now, to be clear, there right. are absolutely victims and human traffickers in this world. They absolutely exist. But the problem with making everybody that is the people who are actually being human trafficked. Is it human trafficked? Is that how you say it? Or sex trafficked? I, I get Whatever the appropriate <laughs> verb know. is, the people who are yeah. those victims, they're now made irrelevant because they're mixed in with a woman who's made a choice. And when I was recently speaking to uh, a few sex worker advocates, um, I learned something about people who are in the uh, trans community. There are some people who go into the trans community, uh, the trans community who go into sex working worker working field to feel like the other gender, to feel like the gender that they feel in their head they are, to feel who huh. like who they want to be. So, for example, if you were born a male and you're transitioning into into being a female, if you put a dress on and lipstick on in your regular day work, there's a chance, depending upon where you live. You're going to be harassed, physically beaten, teased, insert bad thing here. Everything from light teasing to physically being assaulted and everything in between. But do that in the sex work industry and the, 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 your, your patron is going to treat you like a woman. I never really thought of it like that. I that didn't either. This is something completely new for me. I had no idea that existed. I was talking to people in that field and they told me that and it – I was like, wow, I didn't even think that was a thing. And then what winds up happening yeah, is that the people who are non-trans will get angry at the trans community <laughs> because the trans community will actually do the do the deeds for lower pricing. Yeah. Well, I mean, so then on, they'll that's, now that's, because that's just... hold on, because now that's illegal. So now the 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 pimp or the sex workers or both who are illegal can now again harass the trans community. They can beat them up or harass them. And, of course, since it's illegal, they can't call the cops. They have no recourse except violence themselves. So now they're back into violence yeah. again. Yeah. No, what I was going to say was, well, that's just free market economics. Yes. But, but you're right. They, 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 they don't have anyone to complain to, and that's the problem. Absolutely. That is the problem. I, look, I don't have a problem with, with you know, straight women – being angry at trans women in the sex work. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with them using violence to solve the problem, right? That's my issue, Exactly. right? But they wouldn't be mad because they think they're taking their business. I get it. That happens in business all the time. But I have a right. problem when they're using violence to solve that problem. That's my issue. Oh, definitely. 100, 100% agree. So anyway, I hope that was, a, that was a, what you wanted to talk about. Well, it was. It was uh, very informative. All right, Larry, uh, appreciate it. And uh, you have a – hope you had a good Thanksgiving and uh, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, man. I did. Thank you. Thanks for calling. And so, yeah, bye, we bye. are talking all day about prohibition. And every time prohibition doesn't work and every time making it legal is better. All right. I want to go back to New York again if I could. 
Uh, we are now on the sex worker train. All good. Let's. That was a bad choice of words. Uh, we are now on the sex worker. Uh, let's just talk about that. That's all. We're going to take Daniel from New York. Daniel, how are you? I am doing really good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, is, this, I, is this Chrisman? Yes, this is Chrisman. This is the presidential nominee um, uh, night tonight. You were the third one who called in. Awesome. Good, good, good. Uh, I, I, I thought I was listening. Were we just talking about trans sex workers right before uh, right yes. before this call? That's correct. Yes. Uh, you know, you know what's really interesting is one of my best friends from high school became trans and is a sex worker, and I visited her in Florida. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things is, is she has a child, and you know, she the the family situation that she had the 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 mother. It was awful. She worked so hard to get her kid, and now if she gets caught doing this, she can get her kid taken away yeah, from her. Yeah, I agree. She's finished. Exactly right. Yes, I, I totally agree. That's crazy. That is crazy. You know, um, there's two things. There's two things I want to I want to clean up real quick, Larry. If I can have a chance, go ahead. One is uh, prostitution. I got a lot of uh, headway on prostitution. I think prostitution should be, should be completely decriminalized. Um, and I think the only rule we should always watch out for is that the sex worker be the person who receives the money and has agency over the money, and there should be nobody else coming between the sex worker and the money. If the sex worker wants to pay a house or a brothel, they could pay the rent, but I don't want anyone else receiving money for sex work but what other about, than the sex what, what about agencies? You, you are against agencies? Listen, if the, if the sex worker wants to get the money first and then pay the agency, cool. But but if the agency but hold books on. the it, money first. Isn't there isn't there a fundamental right of the sex worker that if they want to use an agency to outsource marketing, to outsource revenue, to become almost like a contract worker or an employee, shouldn't they have the right to either become that contract employee or that worker if they choose to? As long as the money goes straight to the sex worker. But it doesn't if they're an employee. It doesn't if they're a contractor. Then I'll tell you what. I have a a huge moral. uh, uh, I I don't like. I think that as soon as you legalize sex work or or undecriminalize it, if you take agency away from the sex worker on receiving the funds, I think that's where all the slippery slopes of sex trafficking and sex slavery and all that stuff can possibly come into the mix. And that's just where I don't feel comfortable. Okay. I gotcha. Okay. Um, and then the other thing is, is on drugs and prohibition. Okay. Uh, you, you said something earlier that if, if they just made the soft drugs legal, less people would do the hard drugs. You know, when you, when I lived out West and drugs were legal, actually, the drug dealers didn't have the uh, the game in the soft drugs anymore, and the hard drugs came onto the street. Um, with 102 pounds of fentanyl that just got caught in America that they yeah. just found, enough to kill everyone. Yep. I, 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 although I didn't say drugs should be illegal at the New York One debate, I don't think anybody should ever be punished for drugs at all, period. They just need to end it altogether, period, period. That's it. What about That's it. A, and what about a uh, an age? Um, is there an age issue for you? Is there an age of consent when it comes to drugs for you? 
I, I mean, listen, nobody wants a 10-year-old kid shooting heroin, no, obviously. No, I do not want that at all. You, you know what I mean? But this this punish culture is the uh, it's the runway for half of the problems we have in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, could, we could figure things out. We could figure things out without having to punish everyone for every little thing all over the place. You know I agree with you on that one, Daniel. I, I am all about giving people second chances. I'm all about trying to get people to do the right thing without having to punish them as we as the one of the people online mentioned you know our system right now is not a rehabilitation system it's a punishment system and then just uh real quick uh we got uh in the bronx in the south bronx where you're from you got jose serrano who uh is stepping down and uh I, i was at a debate or a forum and i was looking into him a little bit the south bronx was the poorest congressional district in the nation and he was the head of the House of Appropriations. He was in charge of how the money flowed out of Congress. Um, and when we have this, and when I talk about my housing policy of actually just giving the people the deeds, mm-hmm. and people say, oh, but you're taking away private property. When the government has been subsidizing the rent and giving you that direct check for that property you supposedly own, I don't really see that as private property. So you're saying that the government housing that, that, that we have in the South Bronx and other areas, but you mean specifically in this case, the South Bronx, we should just give people the deeds and say, this house, this apartment, it's now yours, done. Yeah, and it's like when we had a government shutdown, a lot of these landlords weren't getting their money and we're starting to get worried. If there's a government shutdown and you're not getting money for your property, how can you uphold an argument that it's private? So you're saying, wait, wait are you saying, okay, I'm, I'm not sure I'm clear on this. Are you saying property that is Section 8 property? So it's owned yeah, by how someone is that private? else. So it's owned by someone else, but the government's paying it? Or are you talking about government-owned property? I'm, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. NYCHA, from, if I became president from day one, it, the deeds would be, well, I would try to, the deeds would be handed over to the people. Section 8, even though it's supposedly private property, we know how the game works, and it's not private. The, the taxpayers have been subsidizing those people's mortgages forever, mm-hmm. and that's not private. It's not private. I'm sorry. And this needs to be addressed. And the other thing that needs to be addressed is we need to look into getting rid of mortgages. And I know that that's crazy, but it's completely predatory. Uh, the, the, the fact that the renter is the one paying a guy who has credits uh, a mortgage for the rest of the life and walks out of it with nothing, it, it, uh, we, uh, the Libertarian Party can figure out an option so the, 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 the leftists don't. You know what mortgage stands for, right? Mort, mort is death and gauge is grip. Mortgage literally means death grip. Yeah, we need to literally get the we. Yeah, I seriously, it's getting ridiculous, and we 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 jump to oh, but it's private property. Oh, it's this. First of all, let, let's get private property in the little guy's hands, and second of all, let's get property out of the bank in the government's hands, please. I, I like getting out of government's hands. I do. So, Daniel, tell me where people can get more of you. Where can they reach you? Uh, Christman 2020 is my website. That's Christman with two N's. Christman, two N's, 2020. Uh, Christman for P on Twitter and Daniel Christman on Facebook. There we go. We had three presidential candidates on this evening, guys. Daniel, thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. 
Guys, I hope you are enjoying the show. If you do enjoy the show, I'm so glad we have so many phone calls. That's amazing. It kept the show going. We talked all about sex, drugs, and gambling and all kind of cool stuff, and our prohibition doesn't work. If you like what you heard, then do me a favor. Head on over to patreon.com slash sharpway. Keep this going. Do me a favor. Give what you can give so we can keep this show going on and keep moving this movement forward. Guys, thank you so much for this evening. I will see you next week right here on The Sharp Way.